doing the coffee chats and talking to people and being introduced to people and that it takes a lot longer to feel like it's doing something but you're building this momentum that just reaches a point where it just goes straight up and then all of a sudden so many things start happening for you welcome to the exponential growth podcast where we demystify what it takes to break into tech I'm your host, James Hudnell, and my goal is to highlight real-life examples of people moving into careers they love, so you can too. Hey everyone, today I'm joined by Andrew Clarkson, a self-taught full-stack software developer. Now before moving into tech, Andrew spent about seven years in automotive parts sales, so we're going to dive in and learn more about Andrew, his story, and how he broke into tech. Andrew, welcome to the show. Hey James, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. And uh, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell the audience, who is Andrew Clarkson? I can do that. Absolutely. So I am currently a full stack developer of about eight months, almost to the day at Universe, which is a subsidiary of Ticketmaster Live Nation. And uh, I build mostly React, Rails Backend, um, and all the kind of assorted technologies that go with it. But those are the big ones. I come from automotive parts sales. Before this, I was working in a car dealership. I was there for about six and a half years, the last two of them as a parts manager. And before that, I was a system parts manager. I was a parts advisor. I was a driver. I started out there at like the almost minimum wage uh, parts driver, just running parts and boxes around and doing returns and that sort of thing. And uh, it was just, uh, I climbed and climbed and climbed and kept on doing better. And it wasn't really what I expected to do, despite going into automotive right out of school. But uh, it, it worked out really good. It was close to home. It paid okay. And I was like, all right, I can do this. This is okay. Previous to that, I'd worked blue collar, white collar. Um, I've worked in HR and recruiting. I worked on farms. I was a mechanic for a period of time. I worked in security. I was kind of all over the place. I really, at one point, I had a really bad, uh, not bad, I didn't even say it's good. In my opinion, it was good. Good string of job hopping. I got a lot of different experience doing a lot of different things. Uh, I climbed myself almost up to C-suite and white collar, um, did a lot of different things, and they've all really converged to make uh, this industry really great for me because I get to use all of those different things uh, on a lot of different days. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, there, that's a lot to unpack, Andrew. That's like the whole episode right there. And I, I like how you attack that in reverse chronological order, but let's let's maybe jump back to the beginning like growing up where'd you grow up what was it like what'd you do for fun yeah sure so i grew up uh, just north of a small town uh definitely not like in the suburbs very rural area um pretty standard uh what do they call the nuclear family um went to school relatively close by uh canadian by the way um north of toronto about an hour and uh, yeah, I'd say fairly standard upbringing. Uh, parents were self-employed, which was the best because they were around all the time. And I got a really ex early exposure to business. I was always in front of people. I was always kind of helping out and dealing with things. And that was everywhere from like uh, the labor side of things, actually doing the job to meeting people, learning how to be in front of people, learning how to talk. Um, and just as my dad always said, like, be a little person. It wasn't, you're not just a kid. Like, if you're going to help out in the business, you got to be a little person. Like, you've got to be here and do things. And I attribute that to 
my a lot of my abilities and my extreme extroversion where I just love being around people and talking to people. After that, uh, there were a couple different schools just the way as my area grew that um, it was like, okay, now this has gotten too big. We built a new school. Okay, you're going here. Um, in high school, I was uh, one of what they called the truckers. Uh, we were a bunch of kind of country boys, drove pickup trucks, listened to country music, went out mudding, four-wheelers, snowmobiles, all that sort of stuff. I had an amazing group of friends, and I intended to be a mechanic. It was the thing that I loved, working on cars. I always had toys, always out working in the shop. Any sports at that point growing up? Not really. I think I played one year of soccer and we won the championship that year so i retired that was enough i i'm a championship winning soccer player nice um news to everyone i'm sure um i just hurt myself a lot when i played sports like i did three ankles between basketball and volleyball i've got a really nice scar on my elbow from breaking at snowboarding um i'm a tall fairly thin dude and um yeah that's that's always been the thing so now i'm a little more careful about that okay no, very cool. And so you had mentioned, I think, graduating high school, I think you had mentioned that you're pursuing this mechanic path. Was that, it sounds like that was an intentional decision. So was college ever on your radar? I'm not that familiar, I guess, with the Canadian school systems, if that was even an option. Did that yeah. weigh on you at all? So the, the Canadian school system is basically like uh, kindergarten to 12, and now it's actually there's a junior kindergarten up to grade 12. Um, around grade 8, realistically, you need to be making a decision. Do you want to be doing college? Do you want to be doing university? We're very different than the states in that college and university... Um, they're a very different thing. And I don't know enough about the states, the way it works. I've just, every time I talk to somebody, they're like, oh, you went to college. And like college is almost like a, it feels like in the states, I'm like, oh, you went to college. Okay. But like you go to university and, and here it's a little bit different. It's a little, uh, a little better in that way. But no, I was right bent on, I was going to be a mechanic. Why am I doing science classes? Why am I doing math classes? I don't need this stuff. This is some okay. stuff I'm interested in. I was in tech classes, doing wood shop, I was doing auto shop and electrical and plumbing and all that stuff. I was like, this is what I'm going to do. Why do I need the rest of it? Yeah. So I didn't go through it with the intention of eventually going to school, despite eventually going to school. Right. No, very cool. Okay. So at that point, it sounds like you were inspired to become, to work with auto parts, to become a mechanic. And it sounds like the software engineering probably wasn't even on your radar at this point. Well, it's funny because I've been building websites since grade five, grade six. Mm -hmm. So let's go way back. That's like, um, mid to late nineties. Okay. Um, I was building websites back. Like we're talking like GeoCities, like yeah. way, way back when, um, really early in that kind of world of things where there were kind of like, what you see is what you get builders. Okay. Um, not all the way back, but I mean, quite a ways back there. Um, I built my parents' first website, which was the very first auction company website like literally around the world which was pretty cool um and it always got uh through all its iterations people always loved it for for what it did it was really just an informational website for their business yeah. so i definitely did it i always had somebody I was building a website for or somebody that i was helping with their tech i was always very technical and my mom at one point really recently when i got into this industry she was like should you have maybe done this a long time ago? And I said, yeah, absolutely. But I I wouldn't have appreciated it the same. No, right. I had to go through the rest of the things to get yeah. here. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with that, Andrew. I, I can say the same thing with my experiences and where I landed now. I wouldn't change any of it in the past. So 
Okay. So at that point, you're going to be a mechanic. What happens next? So I go out and do that. I did the co-op in grade 12, which is where you actually go out and work at this thing that you want to do and see, like, is it for you? And I was like, yeah, this is great. So I worked at that for a little bit. And then once I was on my co-op, graduated high school, uh, went on, that was after OAC, which was a grade 13 here. That was now an optional thing. So I dove completely into it and I went and got a job at a local shop and I worked at that for a while. And uh, I actually had a boss. I don't know if this was kind of a, uh, a good thing or what it was, but I had a boss that just wouldn't help me get into my apprenticeship program and to actually get signed. Whereas now it's required. Before it was like you kind of had to prove yourself. It was more that kind of old school blue collar. And he kept telling me every every week I would go in like, can we get this going? And every week we'd tell me, oh, we need you to be doing these things and these things. He was just kind of a not a real supportive guy. And long story short, when I finally left, I spoke to the owner of the company and they owned a few different dealerships. I, I just wrote them a letter and it was kind of like, I'm really disappointed in my experience here because I came in really gung-ho, really wanted to do this thing. And I've been shot down the whole time. They had no idea. Well, next thing I know, this guy got fired because there was a lot more going on than just what I had experienced. It was kind of like, wait a second. And I looked into it. Yeah. But after that, I, I reevaluated. I was like, what am I going to do? What do I want to do? And that started the the bouncing from job to job. Does this make me happy? Do I want to do this? Is this something I enjoy going into every day? Is this fulfilling in any way? Okay. How old were you around this time? 19-ish, 20. 19. Okay. Yeah, I'm just, um, I guess we always compare and contrast our own respective journeys. And I think it sounds like you started, you embarked on this introspective self-learning journey at this point in your life, Andrew. And it's so funny because it took me, I was like 28, 29 when I started that. So good on you for- Oh, starting. I mean, it took me until then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, was, it was a bounce between a bunch of different jobs and like, oh, I don't really like that. And people would be like, oh, like my buddies would always be like, oh, what job are you working like this week? Because it was getting to the point where like, I was moving jobs about once a year and I was like, I'm gonna go do something else. But it was always an improvement. It was always something new and something I enjoyed at least for a while. Yeah, no, exploring interest and maybe validating or confirming things that you didn't like. So it's not, mm -hmm. yeah, no, I, I like that. I think we know where you landed, but you had also mentioned you were a driver. You had mentioned, I think you had mentioned the apprenticeship program. So backing up just a little bit, this ex-manager or ex-boss who wasn't that supportive, did you ever get into that apprenticeship program or did he kind of ruin that for you? I'd say, you know, I'm going to say like that, that ruined it for me. But at the same time, it was, it gave me the opportunity to take a step back and go, is this actually the thing you want to do? And I looked back on the last eight months or a year, however long I was there. And I thought about it. I was like, is this the work you want to do? Because when you go into auto mechanics, the first thing that you hear from all the other mechanics is, what are you doing here? Get out of here. This is not the industry you want to work. It's a terrible industry and you're not going to like it. And you're going to ruin cars for yourself. Mm. Which funny enough, because that was the advice I started echoing when I got into parts, when I got into it again, the mechanics, oh, I love cars. And they pull in some little hot rod and I'd be like, get out of here. This is not yeah. the thing you want to do. Yeah. And they were right. And, but I was young buck, ready to go like, no, you're wrong. It's going to be different for me. And I was like, no, that's, this, this isn't the thing. So yeah. it gave me that time to sit back and, and look at things differently. Yeah. No, I like that. So if you want to talk about maybe some of the different jobs that you did in that trajectory that you took, maybe in a little bit more granular detail, because I think, you know, I'm sure there are going to be people out there listening that maybe like you, they're, they're certainly there's many of us in a job. I'm not one of them. You're probably not either that they're not happy with what they're doing, but maybe they don't know 
what they want to explore or maybe they're afraid to go out and explore. So I feel like maybe you telling your own story might, you know, give them something that they can look to. to okay. You know, that, that kind of makes sense. So what did that journey look like for you? Yeah, absolutely. And I agree with all of that is I love where I'm at right now and hopefully that goes on for a long time, but I, I understand things change, but yeah, uh, yeah it's fantastic. Um, but at each job that I was at, I did enjoy it for at least a period of time. Um, some of them a lot longer than others. And so there were different ones. Um, I worked in a security company as a locksmith for a while. Um, that one was a bit of a boss issue too. That was like the alcoholic, uh, real rough and tumble kind of guy that I was like, mm, not, not real a big fan of being yelled at at uh, 8 o'clock in the morning because something didn't go right or lunchtime when he comes back. Yeah. Three sheets to the wind. Yeah. Um, but it was kind of a fun job and I learned a lot. Learned how to pick locks. That was pretty cool. I worked on a farm with a friend of mine um, just at a period where I was like, I've quit my job. And he was like, I need some help. You want to come and work at the farm for a bit? And I was like, all right, cool. Like, let's do that. So that was fun for a little bit. But that's out in the hot and the sun and really working hard. And I was like, mm, okay. So it, it was something I went back to a lot because we got along really well and it was always a good time. Yeah. Um, I worked at the local town like um, for the municipality. And it was a glorified janitor job. Um, I was an operations, what was a operations something, and basically um, keep the building nice and clean, keep everything working. And I was responsible for making sure our gigantic Olympic-sized pool was operational, was clean, was everything. So it was a lot of um, just taking care of and maintenance and stuff that I'm really good at. Um, but again, it's not stuff that I wanted to do all the time, but it paid really well. The hours were good. I could walk to work. So I was like, okay, this is okay for a while. Yeah. And then I find, uh, there, there were a few other ones as well that I worked at along the way. Um, self-employed. I had a snowplow company for a period of time. I did landscaping. Uh, like I said, I did websites. I did tech support, stuff like that. Um, but there reached a period of time at the town where I almost felt like I was going numb. Like I wasn't learning anything. And this has been looking back, there's even like, oh, that boss or this thing that happened. If I look back at all the different jobs I had and why I didn't like them, it was because I felt that I wasn't learning, mm. which is why I really like this industry. As we all know, it's just a, it's a constant thing. So I was kind of like, I'm not learning anything. I'm feeling, I'm feeling really stagnant. So I went back to school and I did it at the same time. I just did uh, a asynchronous uh, university degree, uh, which I'm almost finished. That was 12 years ago I started that and I'm probably gonna finish it this year. Um, I've moved really slowly on it because university just doesn't jive well with me. Wait, now what is what is the degree? Is it a- It's a management a degree time? now. Um, at the time when I started, I changed it in between, but it was a human resources degree because I was like, hey, I think I'd like that. I think I'd like getting that, the employee engagement, um, that sort of thing. So I was like, okay, let's go do that. So I started that up, uh, went through a few different courses, and then I expected I would finish it before I made a move. But as I got into it, I'm like, no, I, I want something different. Next thing I know, I'm a recruiter. So I've always found it easy to move like that. So with kind of my past experience and other things that I had done in the business and being able to talk to people and understand, um, I was able to slide into a company as a recruiter very quickly. Got in there within the first like month. I had broken all of their records. I had blown away everything that they had done recruiting wise. And there was they were hiring for another job and it was a coordinator of everyone that they had hired because they were a staffing agency. So they hired, but they also then took care of you after that. And 
they had this job posting up and everyone in the office wanted it because the girl who was leaving, she loved her job. And I was like, oh, that, that looks like a great job. Like, good luck, everyone. My boss pulls me in the office and goes, Andrew, are you going to apply for this job or not? And I was like, what do you mean? I just, like, I just got here. And she's like, yeah. I go, I can't be, what, what do you want me to just leave this job and do another job? She's like, yes. Cool, done. Hired on the spot. Like, you got it. And I was like, wow. So everyone else was really disappointed. <laughs> but I was like, all right, cool. Like, that's a nice win. So I did that job for a while. Um and yeah, oversaw about 100 people around the world, made sure they got paid, they were happy, they were in the right place, they were doing the right thing, that sort of thing. So that kind of led into my like people management career. Okay. Once I left there, it was to be a um, operations manager, which sounds funny because it sounds like the town job, except for I was overseeing 80 or 90 retail stores. And that was more of a... You talk about getting a job because you know people. That was what that was. I was not qualified for that job. I was not very good at the job, but I was also not very well supported in it. So I did that for a while. That was my first real experience with burnout. Okay. I just, I had so such high expectations of me that were unmeetable because when I'd say, okay, this is how I want to do these things. I want to spend some money in order to do this. It was always shot down. No, 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 that's not working. Do these things. I'm like, well, okay, why do you have me here? Then if you're just going to tell me, it's like, okay. Did that for a while, burned out really hard, left there, took a period of time off, um, looking back, real mental health break, and then found this job at the dealership. And I was like, I'm going to go do that for a while. Like, I got to still pay the mortgage. I got to be contributing here. Um, and yeah, I gave that a shot and, and really enjoyed that. I really did enjoy it. Um, I, I liked the people I was working with. I liked the work that I did. Uh, I kind of got to run the show. So, so it was pretty solid, again, until it wasn't. Yeah, no. So let me pause you there. And, and I, we just heard a plethora of different jobs. And I want to, <laughs> I want to ask you, so a couple of those, it sounds like the quote unquote interview process wasn't much more than a handshake, but for those that weren't, what did you learn about interviewing during that time? And specifically what things I guess might translate to those that are listening? Cause it sounds like, you know, this, this wide variety of jobs that you've been sampling, I'm sure that you've had different kind of takeaways that have helped you in, I guess, later interviews. Absolutely. I think the biggest one is always, if you can, if you can make the interview a conversation, you, you're one, you've won already. If I could get into a, an interview and, and get the conversation moving away from the, they're sitting there with their list, right? Uh, this thing, this thing, this thing, and they're asking you questions. As soon as I could get them away from that, the job is mine. And, and that's not a like, oh, I'm fooling myself. I can do anything. It was advice that I give to everyone. I said, you walk into that room and it's, hey, how are you doing today? How's it going? You have a few different interviews. Like, have you found somebody you like yet? Now you're a person. Yeah. And so many people look at interviews as I've got this robot on the other side of the table and I have to answer if I insert tab A into slot B just right, I'm going to get the job. But it's not how it is because people want to work with people. People don't want to work with a robot that just answered the questions right. You can answer all the questions wrong. Yeah, obviously you need a certain amount of knowledge. But if you can go in and you can talk to these people and they can get a feeling of what you're going to be like to work with and they and that matches the culture and they like it, you're so much further ahead. And this advice can be rough for the more introverted, um, the neurodivergent, that type of thing. I know it's really hard. So I always try and kind of how do I balance that advice on the other side? Um but that's not my experience, so it's hard to advise that. 
Um, for anyone that has any sort of lean to extroversion or is trying to learn how to be a little more outgoing um, and, and talk to people, it's such a huge skill because if you can sit down and you can talk to those people, you can build a real relationship, you're so much further ahead than just robotically answering the questions. Yeah, no, that's great. And I think that translates to not only many different facets of interviewing in different industries, but different facets of life as well. It's getting comfortable with yourself and getting comfortable having that casual conversation and any of those types of what would otherwise be deemed as serious interactions. So I think that's great actionable advice for the audience yeah so, and, and it yeah. sets uh it sets a kind of tone for your employment too is yeah. that you're not that just cut and dry whatever it, it makes it easier to build relationships with your superiors with your superior superiors uh, i'm happy to go and talk to anyone in the company and feel comfortable talking to them yeah yeah no okay so back to your story so you you had mentioned this brief hiatus working on your mental health and then you had picked back up working at this dealership, was that you, two questions there. First one is, was that you revisiting this affinity you had working as a mechanic and you were trying to scratch that itch again? Not at all. It was a, I'm comfortable in this industry. I know how to deal with the people in these, in this okay. industry, because if you've, I know you've worked in uh, various blue collar uh, industries, it can very much be a different kind of people. And the people that work in automotive dealerships are a breed of all of their own. And I'm cut from that cloth, but at the same time, I kind of know the bad stuff that goes along with it. Yeah. And I knew how to deal with it. I knew how to make the things work and how you can kind of work with those people in order to be successful. So I was like, okay, I know this environment. I know how to work with it. Um, I'm very comfortable. I have such a wide range of background knowledge for it because I'm a gearhead. So I'm like, oh, car parts, that's easy. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it was really just a stopgap for me, which is funny because of what it became for me. But it yeah. was really just a, can I go make some money at this for a little yeah. while? And then I'll go find something else to do. Okay. And that kind of leads me into the second question, which was at this point in your life, you'd mentioned, you know, you dabbled with code, you dabbled with websites. Was programming on your radar at all as a potential profession? No, it's something that was on that list of things. I'm, I've always been like, yeah, I'd love to learn to code. Um, I had automated stuff in jobs before, um, a lot of it, but at a very low level. And it was, it was never on the radar. Like I should learn to code. I should learn to program. It seemed so far beyond my, um, I almost want to say like level, like it just felt so far beyond me that I'm like, I could never do that. Why do you but, think that is? It felt, I just didn't know. It was really, I just had no idea. It was just, I looked at that, I'm like, that's a thing. It was no different than like mechanical engineering or being a rocket scientist or a doctor. I'm like, that's just something I could, I don't think I could do, but it wasn't a like down on myself thing. It's just like, that's just not my way. Yeah. And it actually, I'm sure we're getting to this in a bit as to when that decision was made, but it wasn't at this point at all. It was, I'm just going to go and continue to do the things I'm good at. Yeah, no, and, and that makes a lot of sense. And that I know for me, Andrew, the reason it took me forever to finally do what I'm doing now is because I had no blueprint, nothing to pattern match. Mm. Nobody I knew had been a programmer. And yeah, I guess it was this black box to me, similar maybe to what it was a little bit for you. And just like you, you know, I had dabbled as well. I had, I hesitate to call them websites, but yeah, I guess I had thrown up a couple of websites as well, just dabbling even, you know, in... I guess high school at the time, but yeah, didn't have a blueprint, didn't have anything to pattern right. match. So and, and yeah, and, and nobody in my life that did this. Right. So it wasn't like I could be like, oh, that I can ask that person about yep. their job. I yep. had no idea. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, okay. So you're, you pick up this job at the dealership. How does the, the story continue? So start out as a driver, uh, with a couple old boys and uh, they'd been in the business for like 40 to 60 years each, like literally forever dinosaurs of this industry and very, very knowledgeable, uh, very old school, um, which goes very much against me. So we butted heads on a lot of things, but that was okay. We all kind of got along. Um, one of them a lot better than the other, but it all worked out pretty well there. And, uh, it was just a matter of, I was in there and the company was growing. It was a relatively new dealership and there was just the two of us and that was, we need a third. Well, that's almost like the, okay, well, we need you inside then. Um, as well as the one other guy that was out there, the older one that had been there forever. He was just doing it as a helping out thing and he just liked to continue to be involved. So he was like, okay you should be in here learning this stuff. I'm going to go out and drive now that we know, like you kind of, you know, your stuff. It's like, mm -hmm. all right, cool. So, so that was almost like a bit of a swap. Okay. We do that. I was good at that. Okay. Now I'm an advisor. And then there was a, a point in time where I was like, I need to be making more money. Like I'm pretty good at this. So I went out and I applied for some jobs and I got some interviews and I got some offers. This industry is one that's so short of people that actually know what's going on. that it's very easy to gather uh, offers and gather new job opportunities so I got a really great offer at another dealership and, but I really enjoyed where I was and everything was going on about it. I was treated pretty well. So I brought that to uh, the general manager and I said, Hey, I've got an offer. Um, I really like it here though. I would like to stay. Um, if you can do something for me, I, I would stay. Yeah. And he was blown away that I would bring that to him. He was like, I appreciate this so much. I can't give you an answer right the second. Uh, how long do I have? I said, I don't know, a couple of days. He said, okay, I'll get, I'll let you know by noon. Um, please don't, don't leave yet. Yeah. Uh, because he recognized kind of where I was and the potential that I had there. Um, so I got called in at lunch and he said, okay, I can give you this much money, this title, these things. So now I was assistant manager. Now I was making more money. Now I had a better bonus. I had a company vehicle. I had a bunch of different things that I wanted. So I was like, cool. Called up the other place. Hey, I appreciate the offer, but like, this is what's going on. They weren't happy with me, but I mean that that is the way. Yeah. And so, yeah, then I was assistant manager there and overall didn't change a lot, but I was better compensated. I was a little more responsible for things. I felt better about it all. Right. I'm like, okay, yeah. cool. Like I feel good being more responsible for things and being called yeah. on for things. So, so that all worked out pretty well. Okay. Were you still learning? So at that point, yes, but more so I, I kind of just taking over other things. Like, okay, I can kind of manage the side of things where it was more the ordering side of things and intake side of things and changing processes and that sort of stuff. Um, but at that point, it wasn't something that I felt that I was there. Like, I was like, oh, I'm not learning. I didn't feel like that yet because I hadn't, I hadn't gotten that feeling yet. I was like, oh, I got an advancement. I was enjoying the yeah. things I was doing. I still got to play with cars and we got to deal with a lot of cool stuff, big trucks and Jeeps and Hellcats and all that sort of thing. Okay. Okay. And then, so you've got that. Are you still in the honeymoon phase of this job that you're in at that point in your life? And regardless of the answer, how did that play out? So that was like, I don't know, maybe three or four years in. So long past like the honeymoon phase of the job, but I was getting that like, okay, we got a raise. Okay. Now we got a new position. Now we got a company vehicle. Like there was enough things that were keeping me interested that didn't lead to that. Like, oh no, this isn't that great. And like, okay start getting bored. There were lots of days that was just the same old, same old. Okay. But again, I, I enjoyed where I was. There was a lot of things going for it. I, it was close to home, literally five minute drive. 
The pay now was reasonable. Really enjoyed the people I was working with. And I got to play with cars. Like I said, I, I'm gearhead having a big okay. shop and, and all these guys that would help me out with stuff and I go and work on my own stuff. That was pretty cool. Um, and, and I got to de- interact with people uh, and I was good at the job. So like that helped with a lot. And, and I was at the time very, very appreciated for what I did. Yeah. I guess it hits so close to home for me, Andrew, because I, in my last job, I probably stayed in that job probably at least a year longer than I should have. And similar to you, I got that promotion and I finally felt like I was being paid reasonably and all these additional perks. And uh, I don't know if it was just like a short-term dopamine hit that's placated me long enough, but long story short, I know for me, it wasn't too long after that, that I had my own little light bulb moment that I needed to make a change. So I'm curious how, how far out was that for you from this point that you're describing? So we hit the assistant manager uh, how did this all go? So that was back in about 2017, 2018. And then uh, the old 19 hits. So my my boss, he was in his 70s. And so I was like, listen, uh, he, had, he had all sorts of other health issues, but a big one, I forget, it was some sort of respiratory issue. And I was like, listen, this is not something that you should be exposed to you're the boss so you tell me if you want to be the one coming in i know you're a busy kind of guy but i would be happy to be the one coming in if you want to take the time and like and not be here in that potential threat uh unnecessarily and so he was kind of like ah no not really but i mean uh let me think about it so once it all came down to it and the layoffs happened and, and the dealership was basically closing down for that period of time he said no he said i'm good if you want to do that i said okay great um, they shut down the department for all three days before I got the call back. Like, we need you back in here. The dealership doesn't run without parts very well. So I was like, okay, cool. So I went back in and it was during that, I don't know, maybe year, year and a half, the dealership just saw amazing success. We did very well during COVID because mm-hmm. we very much, um, accommodated what was going on, made sure that everyone could still get their stuff done. Um, we were really good with all the protocols, that sort of thing. So we did very well, but at the, that time, that's when I really had that thrown to the fire uh, experience with running everything. Um, I realized how little training I'd actually gotten in running the department, but I figured out as I went, I stayed late, I, I worked extra, I came in early, I did all the things until I, I had it all down. And then I got really fast at it. And then I got really good at it to where I was like, oh, I'm kind of back to where I was. I can just kind of chill and the job goes really well. And... Um, there was a point in time where I was like, I need help. I need a second person. So like, okay, we'll bring back your boss. And most people in the company had a bit of an issue with this guy, um, me included, but we got along. We were in close quarters all day. Um, didn't last very long because everyone had loved working directly with me and just with me. And when I say everyone, I mean the people in the shop was the big one. Um, things moved quickly. Processes were really good. Like things were just running really smoothly. Um, all my other customers outside of that really liked dealing with me. And then when he came back, everything kind of went back to the way it was and people didn't like it. Mm. And people started speaking up because there were problems I'm not going to get into, but there were a lot of problems. And eventually he was let go. And they said, this isn't working out. Um, it, it just, there's too many issues here. So I had to hire somebody new. So I brought on somebody that I knew. Um, I started filling out the department again to have a full department. Uh, everything ran really well. But there was a period where I started 
I hit that point that you're asking about. And all of a sudden I was like, I'm not learning. I'm stagnant again. So this time, rather than getting bored and just jumping jobs, because I say, you hear about the golden handcuffs, right? Where CEOs can't leave because they're paid too much. I call them the, like the rusty chrome handcuffs because it was paid okay. But I mean, I wasn't making six figures. So I wasn't like, oh, this is so great. It's just like, what am I going to do that's outside, that's not in the car industry? And I always said, if I leave this job, like this place of employment, I'm not going back into automotive. I'm done with dealerships just because they're they're not great places. Sure. So I was like, everything's okay here. There's not any specific problem with this place. I'm just not learning. It's just the position. It's just what it is. So I'm like, you know what? Let's let's approach this differently this time. Let's learn something new. Always wanted to learn to code. Let's go do that. So I picked up a course. I started doing that. Um, I started with Code Academy. I really didn't like it. And I thought maybe coding's not for me and mm, this isn't going so well. So I did that for a few weeks. It wasn't clicking. And then I picked up another course on Udemy and all of a sudden it just, it made sense. Okay. And why? So just going back just a couple of steps there, why do you think at this point you picked programming? Because I think I had asked you that earlier and it was something that was fun, but maybe not something that you decided to pursue as a career. So why now? I had a specific project I wanted to build. And so I did the research that was, how do I actually do that thing? And how is it what we do as developers, right? How do I break that down into small enough chunks that I can do it? So for this specific thing, it was like, I need to learn Python. Okay, cool. Let's learn some Python. So we started at it. No, that's great. And I think, you know, I know the projects that I've done and the people that I've talked with and, and worked with indirectly, I feel like if ever you have a, a project and a burning desire to create something, that almost always goes better than just trying rote memorization on Code Academy or, or whatever. It's always great to have a purpose and then using that to kind of solidify the concepts that you're learning. So I'm curious how that, that journey played out for you. Yeah, so it was originally at Code Academy where I just didn't get it. I've spoken with a lot of other people that didn't do well with Code Academy either, but I mean, clearly it's a great resource and a lot of people do really well with it. So I can't say anything bad about it, it just didn't work for me. And then, so I got looking up, I'm like, because originally I found that, like, what's a good resource to learn Python? Okay, went back to that. What are other good resources to learn Python? So I landed on Angela Yu's 100 Days of Python. And I, I fired that up, paid the, I don't know, 20 or $30 for it, fired that up. And right from the beginning, I was like, hey, this is a little different. Like this spoke to me. And this was when I started learning how I learn. I had never specifically looked at that. It was just like, I'm good at some things. And I realized I was always good at the things because I did those things. Like I learned a little bit about them and I went and did that hands-on work that really cemented it in my mind. And that's how she taught. Hmm. It was, I'm gonna show you something. And we're going to talk about it, and then I'm going to show you it, and then I'm going to have you do it. And I'm like, okay, cool. So we did that. And something that she said right at the beginning of the course, and this, this for me was life-changing, was I want, you're trying to do something for yourself, right? You're here because you want to learn coding. Maybe it's a personal project. Maybe it's you want to change your career, something. And at the time, it still wasn't I wanted to change my career. It was I just want to learn something. She said, I want you to set aside time every day for the next 100 days. You've got to be consistent. Don't miss a day and sit down with me and learn. And I usually skip right over that stuff. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, that's cool, right on, all right. And let's get into the course, like next, next, next. Okay, there we are, now we're learning. But I watched this and I was like, oh, that's pretty good. All right, I can do that. So I, like, I think she even had, and I don't know where it is, I should find it. 
she even had this like thing to print out and it was like a commitment to myself mm. that I'm going to do this thing. I need to find it. I don't know where it's gone, yeah. but I did. I got it and whether it was online or whether it was printed out or whatever, and I had it. I was like, I'm going to do that. I made that commitment myself. I'm yeah. like, I can do this. Yeah, let's yeah. do it. And I did for every day for the next hundred days. And I think I extended to 220 or something like that. I didn't miss a day. And it was that consistency and it was that like setting something new in my life. And this was a thing I do now. This wasn't just I'm learning to code. This was a thing I do now. I code every day after dinner. I go and I sit down for an hour and I learn something. Yeah. And that was huge. And it was still just the, I want to learn to code. It wasn't for months until I was like, maybe this is something I could do. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, there's so much, there's so much there to unpack, Andrew. And just to, to touch it on the surface level, I think. So Angela helped establish that habit for you, which you totally latched onto. And then, you know, speaking to like the, the mental side of things where it, it seems like for the first time in your learning, you were really buying in to the, the process, so to speak. It was understanding the process and 100% buy-in. Like, this is what I'm doing despite anything else that's happening. Okay. So are you just in a vacuum? Are you coding by yourself for 200 days or at some point in that journey, are you branching out and doing things with that? Yeah. So that, that kind of gets me to like here and, and really informs all the things that I do. And one of her things was we have a discord and it's the hundred days of Python, or I think it was her all of our courses. Angela writes, uh, I don't know, maybe half a dozen different courses. And she said, I've got a Discord. If you want to come and find like, somebody to learn with, um, uh, accountability buddies, accountability buddies, that sort of thing, um, come on by. So I was like, all right. And I was pretty active on some other Discord. So I'm like, okay, we hop on there and uh, jump in the introduction. Hey, I'm Andrew. Uh, I'm on day one. And that was the kind of thing. Hey, I'm Andrew. I'm uh, on day two. I'm on day five. I'm on day whatever. I'm having troubles with this. You can start talking to people. And I was like, hey, it'd be cool to kind of talk to some other people regular, not just whoever's online at that point in time. So there was an accessibility buddy channel. So I go in there. I'm like, hey, I'm on this whatever. Uh, I'm on day 10. I'm looking for some other people kind of at the same stage that we can kind of talk. So I started kind of accumulating those people. And there'd be people that fell off the wagon and weren't into it. Most of these courses, I think they have like, what, maybe a 10% completion rate. So the higher I got and the further along I got, the less people there were. But there were a lot of people that we check in regularly. I'd, I'd log on to a bunch of messages. Hey, how are you doing today? And I do the same thing. Like, what day are you on? Or, hey, I'm on this. I'm doing that. And it ended up with uh, maybe six or eight, like, kind of core people that I spoke to a lot. And then one of them, uh, he was like, hey, why don't we start our own Discord, like our own little community where we can gather all these people? So like, that's an amazing idea. Yep. So that community still exists. It's a very quiet community these days, but there's a few of us, the very core group that still jump on there and chat and, and nice. keep each other updated. And it became uh, where we'd set monthly goals and we'd talk about where we're at. And we'd help each other with like what day we're on and what project we were on. And uh, we can get stuck with your code. So it was the very beginning of my introduction to community in this industry yeah. and at the time somebody somebody's got a great uh a great word for it but basically like I, I did the thing that i i had to create something in order to get the thing that i wanted which was that kind of regular community in a smaller tighter knit group yeah. and it's something i recommend to everyone i'm like set up your little community you're never too early to start kind of talking with people and learning from other people so that's what started that. So now we we're kind of learning together. I went through that and it was in that first kind of hundred days where it was like, this is a thing I want to do. And that's where I started reaching out to other people. And that's where it was like, okay, now we need LinkedIn. Now we got to join some other communities.
Okay. No, I love that. And, and maybe just continue now if you want to attack the the LinkedIn slash networking, which can be a oftentimes misunderstood term. How did you leverage that to work for you? And yeah, how did you onboard and on-ramp into this new industry that you're pursuing? So my first real like networking, and I, I guess that community was a little bit of that, but my first real uh, kind of coffee chat is what I, I guess you would call it um, back then as well. Um, even not really not really realizing that's what I was doing at this at the time, is I reached out to the HR manager of one of my like dream companies, and I said, "Hey, I'm." kind of thinking about getting into software. I've been learning for a bit. I really like your company. Um, and they were one of these companies that's very forward about like all the things we give you all this time off on a limited PTO and we do company trips and we do like all these different things. I really liked that. And I was like, that's the kind of place I want to work. And so I said, I just want to kind of learn about your company. I'm not, not looking for a job right now. Um, I know you are hiring juniors, but like, I'm just want to kind of find out what's up. Cool. I said, you have like 15 minutes. Yeah. So I took off from work one afternoon and uh, came home and, and set up the call with her on Zoom or whatever it was. And uh, we talked for over an hour. Mm-hmm. And I still message her once in a while. And she's like, I see the things you're doing on LinkedIn. Like you've been so successful. I love it and all this stuff. But it was just that introduction to how kind and generous people in this industry are. Yeah. And I was like, this is really cool. Just tech in general. And I was like, this is really cool. I like this. Um, So that really encouraged me to do more of that. Start talking to more people, meet new people. Um, I really fired up my LinkedIn, uh, started talking to people more on there, building more community, uh, attending uh, community events, that sort of thing. And somebody on there, and it might have been Luke Hovey, was like, Andrew, you need to find some local meetups. I was like, it's a good idea. That makes sense. And with COVID, it was kind of, they were starting to come in again. And I was like, that's a great idea. So I found Toronto JS. Like, Toronto, coding, perfect. Here we go. Like, let's yeah. let's go. So I jumped on there and they've got an amazing Slack community. And they were starting to get back into in-person events. So I was like, all right, cool. This is perfect. So I got on there and I started asking questions, asking for advice all the time. And this is what I recommend a lot of juniors do is go on to these communities and ask for help. Yeah. If you're... If you're doing it, you're not just like solve my problem. You're genuinely like asking, like, here's the things I'm doing. Ask good questions, all that sort of stuff. Um, people like to help. People are very willing to give back in this community, which I really like about it. Yeah. And one of those questions for me was like, I think a mentor would be a great idea for to help me get into this industry. How would I go about doing that? And this group is great for people not quite piling on, but you always get a lot of responses. You get a lot of advice. And I love that because then you can kind of filter through it. What works for me? What fits my personality and my my way of doing things? And one of them was, and, and I, I spout and I yell it from the rooftops these days, but build things and talk about them. Build in public. Yep. That's what it came down to. And I was like, yep. cool. And for some reason, I really latched on that advice. And it was the first time I'd heard it. I know it's a very common thing to hear, but I really latched on that. I was like, that's cool. I like that. So I started when I was building things and asking, I'd be asking in there, or I'd build something and be like, hey, I put this thing together. I've got this app. What do you think? And people would come in and they know you're a junior, so they're not going to tear you out because your code structure is awful and your code's spaghetti and all this sort of thing. But they'd be like, hey, maybe there's something you could do. Or what if you change this? Or this might make it more accessible. Or this might make it responsive and that sort of thing. So I started getting that advice and I got this really good positive feedback loop where it was, how do I do this thing? Okay, cool. Yeah. What if you did it this way? Okay, do that. Bring it back to them. Yeah, great job. 
positive feedback loop over and over and over and over again. So I kept doing that. And I see people do it, but they stop. They ask for help on something and then like, that's kind of it. Okay. I wonder, so why do you think that is? Do you think that that's an indication that it might not be their calling or that just that they got distracted or what would you attribute that to? No. Um, I think for a lot of people, it's tough. They feel like they're, um, uh, like they're taking these people's attention too much or they feel like they're imposing. Um, I think for a lot of people, and it's, it's a very big one in this industry because there's so many introverted people, they feel, if they feel as if they're imposing on your time, which is often not actually the way, it's just the way you feel about it, then they don't want to do that. So they do it that once or twice. It's like, oh, how do I keep asking the same group for help? Well, that's how you build relationships. Yeah, I think that's great. And I think that's a good point to highlight, Andrew, because I know I, I'm probably still guilty of that to an extent, but I think to anyone out there listening that is afraid to reach out, just battle through that. And just like Andrew has mentioned, I've noticed it as well. The people in this industry, they love to help and it's not completely altruistic. I know when I help people, I almost always learn something when I mm-hmm. go through whatever I do. So it's a, it's a two-way street. So I just wanted to come back and highlight that just because it's so important and it, it could be the difference in you making this successful transition and not. Yeah. And, and beyond that, the, the perfect, uh, perfect segue with the, the two-way street. The guy who gave me that advice way back when, he always was there with answers. Like he's the absolute code wizard, uh, fantastic guy. Um, he was super kind to me throughout all this and still is. He always was there um, giving advice. He wasn't just go do this and then like, you're in my community, but got a great job, you're doing a good thing. It was like he was there, he was, made, he was answering. He was saying like, maybe structure it this way, do things this way, look into this, learn about these things. So he was always really helpful. And down the line, he was the one who messaged me. He was like, hey, we're hiring a junior. Would you be interested? Mm. And that's where I work now. So, like, it's the advice. That's why I say I scream this from the rooftops for as long as I'm in this industry. It's amazing advice. Yeah. So let's let's talk about that interview process, if it was indeed more Mm -hmm. than that, Andrew, on on the technical interview front. Did that defer at all? I imagine it did. Maybe there was some kind of coding aspect as well. I'm sure you still were able to make it a conversation, but yeah, if you want to yeah. talk about that. So that was one of the most intense interview process I ever had because tech just is. Um, most other interview process, it was one interview uh, for all the other industries we were talking about. Sometimes it was a handshake or yeah, come on work for me. Like you start Monday, like yeah. you're so-and-so's kid or you're, you know, so-and-so. Yeah, you're on. It wasn't like that at all. Um, as amazing as that would have been, and I'd been fine with that, like I still really had to work for this. So in this company, this uh, referral was very much uh, uh, what I think most referrals are. It puts you at the top of the list. It everything but guarantees you an interview. Like if they look at your resume, they're like, "No, this. Why are you? Why did you bring this person in? Um, they're not getting an interview." But as long as they're somewhat reasonable, um, then you at least get the chance to talk to them. So then there was a HR screen. Are you a real person? There were two behavioral interviews back to back, 30 minutes. That was where I really got to have those kind of conversations. Um, I think behavioral interviews are great. I know a lot of people don't like them, but they give you the opportunity to show all the things that you've been great at and show what the kind of person you're going to be like. If they say like, tell me a time where you dealt with something difficult at work or a difficult coworker, well, you're not just going to sit there and badmouth a coworker. You're telling your story. You're telling about how you were the hero in this and how you did these great things and how you were a good person. 
that that's what people have to understand like you got to tell a story and that's where you can really kind of flip the script on that and have those conversations and like show that you're a real human being um, to the human being that you're treating like a human being across the table so those were really good and it was pretty cool because the two people that interviewed me uh, one is now my product manager and the other one is on the team of uh, product that I'm building right now so it's pretty cool um, that people like right in the company, they have those people interviewing. And then there was a technical challenge and it was a, about a one, little over an hour long. Um, it was live coding. It was basically like the kind of problem that you'd find, um, at like, a probably mid-level leak code. I want to say kind of like, a maybe a four Caillou on uh, code wars. And it was where you were given a problem and you just had to go through and solve it. And they said right at the beginning, and because I had asked my questions leading up to it, what's this gonna look like, what's expected, as well as I had the referral who would kinda, he could explain things to me a little better. Yeah, you're probably gonna go through this, you're gonna talk to these people, that sort of thing. So at the beginning it was, I'm not expecting the most efficient solution. I'm not expecting a code to be perfect. Hopefully we get to a, a working result, but if we don't, it's okay. So it was like very much, set you at ease. It wasn't like, yeah. we're just going to sit here and judge you and say nothing. Yeah. It was a conversation. It was seeing what are you going to, what I just said, what are you going to be like to work with? Yeah. So I practiced this a lot, talking through my code, explaining what I was doing, explaining my thinking process, because it's what we do at work. Um, so I sat down with somebody um, and we went through this problem and I was like, okay, and I detailed it out and I'm going to do this. I asked a lot of questions like, what do you think of that? Does that make sense? Am I on the right path? You can have these conversations in coding interviews too. You still have a human being across the table that if you just sit there and code for an hour, they're going to be bored out of their skulls. That's right. But if you have a little conversation with them, you might even get a few little, little a bit of help, a little answer here and there, a little tip. I feel like they want to help you. I feel like they want you to succeed. You still have to do the work. But That's a huge one. I think a lot of people think that interviews are them looking for a way to um, to not get rid of you, but like to disqualify you. Yeah. It's not, it's a, they want, basically it's yours to lose at that point. If you are in the interview process, it's yours to lose. So yeah. it's not just about winning it. It's about not losing it. So have those conversations, do those things. So it was really cool. Cause I got to sit down with them and um, we had that conversation and we, we vibed pretty well and I was going through the things and I actually made it right through it and I got a working solution and uh, he had made a few comments. Like, what if you did this this way? I was like, totally throw off. I'm like, okay, yeah, well, let's change that. So he was seeing how I deal with that. Yeah. Um, so I went through it all and, and I did pass that. And uh, then I got the job offer. So I thought it was a very human process. Um, it felt like I was appreciated and, uh, and seen as a human, not just another number that we might hire. Yeah, no, I love that. And so going back to when you got either the email or the phone call that you got the job, what, what were your emotions? What were you feeling at that time? Mm, I just about jumped through my uh, 10 foot ceiling uh, really? that day. I was so excited. This company was, at this point, I was so sold and I was absolutely had my heart set on this company at this point. Okay. So I talk about it a lot, but I gave up on cold applying very early in the process. I don't like it. It didn't do well for me. I know a lot of people get their jobs this way. A lot of people have a lot of success with it. I just, I hated it. I didn't like the barrage of instant rejections or waking up in the morning to 50 rejections because I had applied to 50 jobs the day before. I just didn't like it. It didn't go well with the way that I like to deal with jobs and the way that I like to apply for jobs. So I just went full on, build in public, talk to people, network, good things will happen. 
takes a little bit longer. You don't have that feedback feedback loop at that point because when you're getting all those rejections, you feel like you're doing things. It feels like I did a lot yesterday or I applied for 50 jobs. So like I must be doing things or I got three good job applications out yesterday. So like I'm doing things and you absolutely are. But the actual hit rate is so low, it felt very inefficient to me. And as a junior, I know that we were all doing this. So I'm like, okay, I've got to do things differently. So that's very much where the, okay, let's just go out there and meet people and go to events and talk to people and make sure that everyone knows that I'm looking for a job. It wasn't me telling everyone I'm looking for a job, but it's very clear this is what I'm yeah. doing. I had a little green circle on LinkedIn. I had the, it was right in my thing, like looking for whatever. And that was really helpful. And you could tell when it started working. It was like the vibrations, the the frequency increased. All of a sudden, I was getting people reaching out to me and saying, hey, you're doing a great job. Like, you're on the right path. I had people being like, why hasn't somebody hired you yet? Like, what is going on? You're amazing. And, like, people I didn't talk to that much, random people would just message me, like, you're doing really good on here. Like, you're, you're doing great. And then I started getting random referrals, being like, hey, I like what you're doing. I'd love to refer you to my company. Mm-hmm. Cool. So I did a few of those. And um, doing the coffee chats and talking to people and being introduced to people and that it takes a lot longer to feel like it's doing something, but you're building this momentum that just reaches a point where it just goes straight up and then all of a sudden so many things start happening for you. And and that's, that's what worked for me. Yeah. And I feel like the approach that you took, Andrew, is you're approaching the problem through a different lens and it's a, a lens through which you have direct ownership as opposed to just the shotgun approach to applying to hundreds of different jobs a day. So I love that you attack the problem from a different vantage point. That's amazing and certainly actionable. So now you're you're a real live software engineer. What's your typical day in the life of if there is one? A real life software engineer. Yeah, it's um it's funny because some days very much fit into a template and other days are just not even. Um, the average day for me, um, typically it's get up, I'm sitting down at my desk eight-ish in the morning after breakfast and I do my LinkedIn thing, um, check in on notifications. Uh, these days I pre-write my posts the night before and I schedule them, which LinkedIn with the scheduling, I love it. Um, that's fantastic. So usually it's going out, but it's checking in, returning messages. Um, I look at my day, my calendar, what's going on today, meetings, that sort of thing. Um, and then I dive right into work, uh, depending on what's going on. If I've got a project um, that I'm working on, it's just right into that. Uh, check Slack, see if there's any updates. Um, usually it's that kind of mornings for me are the best. Those are when I'm, that's when I'm sharpest. So that's when I like to do my most technical work. So that's the actual coding. That's the testing of things. That's making sure that uh, any research, anything that I need to learn, I like to do that in the morning. Um, Stand-ups every other day. So that's kind of mid-morning. That's a nice little break. Talk to some people, then back to it. Afternoons I typically spend, um, that's if I have to have meetings, I like to push them to the afternoon. Um, If it's just reading documentation, writing documentation, uh, manual testing, that sort of thing I like to do in the afternoon. Um, And then there reaches a point kind of mid to later afternoon where it's I get that uptick again. That's like, okay, and then I can dive back into something. And that's like those problems I had in the morning. Now I've had enough time to let them just simmer. Yeah, okay, and we can dive right into them. So that's always pretty cool. Um, Some days, uh, lately, there's been a lot of just straight 
project planning, uh, kind of architecting uh, the project that I'm on right now. We they very much said we want it, you guys to do it your way um, and kind of figure it out. So that's been really cool. I've got to really build something greenfield um, from the ground up, um, work with a team that I haven't worked with in the past. So it's kind of learning everyone's ways of doing things. And uh, we're at the point right now where we're starting to cut tickets. We're actually going to start building next week. So I'm pretty stoked to get back to that. Nice. Um, we don't do a lot of meetings, which is amazing. I love it because as much as I love people, I do not like meetings. So, <laughs> so I, I like that we do it that way. Um, but pair with people, um, whether it's me helping or more likely them helping me uh, work through problems, um, getting code out there, testing things. Like, yeah, it, it's fun. It's it's always changing. Rarely does one day look exactly like any other day, and I think that's what I like best about it. It's always learning something new. Um, I've always got. If, even my, if my project work is stagnated because I'm waiting on somebody, I always have like a project in the wings that I can work on. So always just trying to crush more code and learn more things. And if that all fails, it's work on some coursework or work on yeah. learning something new or learning something in the company to just make my impact greater. Yeah, no, I'm envious of the uh, lack of meetings. So I, yeah, you, you got me beat there for sure. And to your point, just to reiterate, it is the... I guess the breadth of everything that there is to learn. I don't think you're ever going to get bored. And if you do, I, I think it's just a function of you not maybe looking close enough at the different areas that you can explore. So I, I totally get that. And I know we're coming up on our time here, but I wanted to ask you, I know you've got a podcast that I think you and Chris had started relatively recently. I don't know if you wanted to talk about that, the uh, origin story for it or anything else you wanted to, to mention about it. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to uh, to plug the podcast a little bit. Um, so our podcast is Looney Engineering, and the origin story of that is kind of fun. So Chris and I, uh, he reached out to me months and months and months ago, like before I started at university, he said, uh, hey, you want to build something together? I was like, yeah, that sounds like a cool idea. So we built uh, first jobs.dev and it was a very simple website um one of my talking about on linkedin was one of my um most viral if you call it, 80 odd thousand uh views viral um it really blew up everyone really loved it so it was kind of just something small we built together but it was like yeah that was pretty cool like baby steps and then back in probably late november he had messaged me again and we talked uh, probably once or twice a week and he said do you want to build something else and this was months and months later. Right? He's like, would you, would you be interested in working on something again together? I said, yeah, I've been kind of thinking on what my next kind of step is, what thing I want to do. I had coffee chats. Um, I had some other things going on, um, events that I run, that sort of thing. And I was like, yeah. And he goes, okay. And we kind of iterated over a bunch of ideas. Do we build a product together? Do we build a service? Are we going to build a website? Are we going to build an app? Like, we kept coming back to podcasts. And kept coming back and kept coming back to, I was like, you know what? I think that's the thing. I don't have the time dump 20 hours a week into something else. Uh, I do have a lot of other things going on, but a podcast feels like we could probably not put more than maybe like four or five or six hours a week, which has turned out to be a lot less than that, which has been great. But uh, he had some of the equipment already because he had a podcast that he, I think he wanted to start, or maybe they did like one episode, like a long time ago with a friend of his. And I was like, we have everything to do it. We don't need an investment. We can just do it. I've already got a great audience that would be very interested in this. So yeah, let's do it. So we just dove in. There wasn't much planning. And this is really helps reinforce my like, you don't need to plan everything. It doesn't have to be perfect. And we both agreed yeah. on that. Let's just do it. 
and we did the first episode in one cut. And I know there was some editing because I had just the mic, uh, the MacBook mic, um, but we didn't go back and redo things. We weren't like, oh no, that's awful, let's redo that. We just did it in one cut, and it was great. And we were like, all right, let's put it out there. Yeah. And it was super well received. So we were like, all right, this is cool. This this yeah. feels good. But again, it's that consistency. We've just done, and I'm sure as you found out as well, I think uh, we're on episode six now. And now it takes a lot longer to record them because we're like, oh, that was awful. Oh, let's redo this. That sounded yeah. awful. But for the most part, it's pretty smooth. The, uh, Chris does the editing. Um, I do a lot of the promo of it, uh, talking about places like this, uh, talking on my LinkedIn and various communities that I deal with. But it's just been that consistency. We're getting a pretty good listener base and really good feedback about it. And yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, I've listened to a couple of the episodes and I, I really enjoyed them. I'm going to add a, a link in the show notes as well. And I think going back to that point you made about just putting it out there and not trying to be a perfectionist, you know, if you if you wait for the perfect moment, you'll probably never take action. I think that translates to just about anything you try to do in life. And I think you're cementing that fact with the podcast is, is a great example of that. That's exactly it. And we said, like, we could have planned this out for months and written out yeah. a podcast episodes and ideas yeah. and all this and said we're like no let's just jump on here and talk about stuff and it gets to the point now where when we have conversations we just jump on and we just hit record and if it becomes yeah. an episode it becomes an episode yeah oh it's beautiful well andrew you have an amazing story i wanted to ask you is there anything else that we didn't talk about that you wanted to or anything else that you think someone out there wanting to break into tech needs to hear anything else i mean i can go on with all the advice that i've gotten but like the biggest one just go out and do it and be consistent if you keep if you keep on keeping on if you keep doing you will make it there are jobs out there um, it takes a lot of iteration same as software it takes a lot of figuring out we don't all know how to do this right from the get-go and there's such a high barrier to entry and uh, kind of it's that fog of war. You don't know how to do what you don't know. And it's not even like it's easy to teach somebody how to get a job or how to do these things. So you've just got to keep on keeping on, keep getting better at things. And I see everyone even now and everyone's terrified about the industry, still announcing jobs, still doing great. Yeah. So keep doing it and you'll make it. Yeah, no, that's a great reminder. And it's so funny where just about anything I guess afforded the perspective of hindsight looking back anything that I truly wanted to do I did and I feel like that's just a testament to your point of if you refuse to give up it's just a question of time it's going to happen so that's exactly it yeah so Andrew thank you again for coming on I really appreciate you sharing your story and I have a feeling you're just getting warmed up interested to watch it continue thank you for having me this was fun Thanks for listening. If you got value from today's show, please consider leaving a five-star rating and a review on Apple or Spotify. It's a free way you can support the show and help other people just like you find the story and others like it. If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to follow the show on whatever podcast application you use. And most importantly, if you know someone that might be interested in breaking into tech, tell them about the show.